Hello, everyone. You're all okay? It's great to be with you. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to start with um, a question and a little story. So the question is, why are you here? Now, I don't mean that rudely. Um, you're very welcome. But, and I don't mean, why are you here on planet Earth? I mean, why are you here, here, this evening, in church? Why do you come? Um, why, now probably there's an array of answers to that. Maybe you come out of habit because you've just been coming for a long time. Maybe you come because you're a Christian and you have to go to church. Um, what do you come for? Do you come for the worship? Do you come for the teaching, people like me? What, what are you here for? I just want you to sort of think a little bit and work, try and think beneath the sort of superficial answers to that, which are probably, I'm, I'm here because I go to church and things like that. What is it that you're hoping you will get from being part of a church community and attending church? And the answer to that question will be different for each one of us, but in a way, to even ask the question is a very human thing, isn't it? To ask why we do things and what are we looking for in life. I'm just going to tell you a little story about somebody. And um, <clears throat> this is a person that lived during, uh, was working in Austria during the Second World War. And his name is Viktor Frankl, and he's he is quite a famous, he's written quite a famous book. And Viktor Frankl was a, a Jewish Austrian psychiatrist working uh, before the Second World War in Austria and, and gaining quite a reputation for being somebody who had insight into human life and into how to manage life. And he was particularly interested in why young people, young men particularly, kept on committing suicide particularly around the time of things like exams. And he became quite fascinated with this idea. And as he began to do his studies and his research and try and help people, he, was, he felt like he was sort of digging down into what is it that helps people to connect with their life and with meaning and purpose in their life. Then the Second World War broke out. And all was kind of okay for a couple of years, but eventually it was discovered that he, or it became clear that the, um, the Nazis were interning Jewish, one Jewish person after another, many thousands of Jewish people in concentration camps, and he ended up in, in, in a concentration camp. And he stayed there between 1942 and 45 for the rest of the war. Um, as a psychiatrist who'd been studying why people commit suicide. And so when he was in the concentration camps, he found himself talking to people about whether or not it was a good idea to commit suicide. And of course, you know, maybe if you're in that situation and the hell and the horror of concentration camps, maybe suicide would be a kind of obvious and sort of sensible option if it felt like you couldn't escape that kind of horror. But he found that some people were very sort of resistant to that idea. And he began to kind of study the sorts of people that were around him and what, how they were reacting to what must have been probably one of the most awful, horrific settings that a human being could be living in concentration camp 
And he was, he was trying to help people and, and to sort of use his psychiatry. And he noticed something. He noticed, and he wrote about this afterwards, in a book that he called Man's Search for Meaning. And he noticed that people almost fell into two groups of, two camps, if you like, two groups of people. And there were some people who, who just didn't look beneath the surface. They were very reactive to the circumstances around them. They didn't think about what was going on. And they didn't think about the life that they'd used to have when they were outside. They didn't think about their families. They were kind of co in coping mode, and it was understandable. But he said that there were some individuals that began to be marked out as people who had this kind of inner life. Not Christians necessarily, could be people of various religions or not even religious people, but people that were seeking meaning. And even in the middle of the horrific situation that was unfolding before them, there was this sense that they were connecting to their purpose and who they were in a situation and trying to do good in the hell that they were living in. And, um, and he, he sort of said that people were, he saw that people were constantly making choices. And I'm just going to read you a little excerpt from, from his book as he expresses it. It's up on the, the PowerPoint, I think. He said there were always choices to make every day. Every day, every hour offered the opportunity to make a decision, a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to the powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom, which determined whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstance, renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded into the form of the typical inmate. And, you know, maybe it seems a little bit harsh to judge somebody or to make some kind of judgment on somebody's going through that sort of thing. But Viktor Frankl was fascinated by this idea that somehow human beings have this capacity to think beneath the surface and to question wh why they were there and who they are and what is the purpose of even of suffering. And so he wrote this book and it became a bestseller and it still is a bit of a bestseller and I was with somebody the other day who was studying it in their book club. So why am I talking about those things? Why are you here and what are you doing here? And what is it about human beings that, ha that we have this capacity to search for meaning in life? What is the meaning of life? Now what we're doing now is we're going through a little sermon series called The Essentials and just tackling four big ideas that are kind of dominate Christian faith. We're looking at the idea of uh, the baptism. We're looking at forgiveness. We're looking at the idea of faith itself. And tonight, we're looking at something called being made in the image of God. And the Bible teaches us, from really from page one of the Bible, that we are made in the image of God. What does that mean? phrase mean to you? That you personally, whoever you are, you're made in the image of God. It's amazing, really amazing hearing Shaz's story, his testimony. And there's somebody who is searching for meaning in what seemed at first the chaos of his life. 
he began to search for something deeper, the meaning, the meaning. And what he's actually discovered is a God who recognizes him and knows him and loves him, whatever has happened in his life. That there's something essential to you, Shaz, that is not being ruined by all the things that you've been through. There is something about you that marks you out as someone who can know God. You are someone who can experience and know God and know his restoration and healing and peace, and so are all of us. And that is because we are made in the image of God. Made in the image of God is such a... Jesus inaugurated this, this kingdom, this family, and he invited people, one person after another, into this amazing healing community where people could experience what it is centrally to connect themselves and to be connected with who, what they really were as a human person. Not the sum of their circumstances, not the things that had happened to them, not how well off they were or how prestigious their life was or how well they'd done in this or that or how attractive or beautiful, whatever it was. That wasn't what Jesus was connecting people with. He was connecting them with this inner world, this beautiful reality where you and I can be known by God and connect with the deepest meaning, the deep part of your soul. And one of the things I really want us to do this evening is to just recognize that you are a deep person. Now, you might not think that you are. You might think, well, some people are. They've got that philosophical thing. They love reading books, and I hate reading, or whatever it is that you think about that idea. But the reality is, is that as a human being, you have got spiritual depths which are incredible. And you are built and designed to know God in a deep, satisfying way. And that's something that Jesus came to really introduce us to and to bring us into a full reality and knowledge of. So we're just going to read now a little excerpt from Genesis, from page one, the page one of the Bible where God creates human beings. It's a very familiar passage. Let's have a look at it. It says this in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make man in our image. There's the phrase, after our likeness. Let's make human beings in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Dominion means ruling, like King Charles supposedly is ruling, sort of. It's not that kind of dominion. <laughs> it's a bit confusing in this day and age, isn't it? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, human beings, in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's God. I think there's another slide, actually, next one. And then in chapter 2, it goes back to the story, and it circles around again, and it says, this is how it happened. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Look at that amazing image. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
And the man became a living being. And it goes on to talk about how Eve, the woman, was taken out of the side of the man and created as well. And this is the origin of human life. And whatever else you think about the Genesis story, whether you think it's a literal story or whether you think it's a, a, a parable that explains to us, there's something here that the writer is trying to tell you and me. That in our very origins, we are made and designed by God. And that somehow the origin of you is, is with God. You're his creation. You're designed and made in his image. And it's something that we need to unpack. So what does it mean to be an image bearer? I've got three perspectives for us that I hope will be helpful. The first one is that the image bearers of God have got infinite value and depth. You have got infinite value and depth because you're made in the image of God himself. You're not just a random scrabble of cells that's just turned out the way that it has. You're made in the image of God himself. And throughout the Bible, there's this sort of theme that just keeps running through the Bible that God welcomes each human person into existence. So wherever you've ended up now, when you were formed, the Bible is really clear that God was present as you were being formed in your mother's womb. So it talks in Psalm 139, it says these words, my frame, that's you, that's your body, your design, your DNA, your bones, your skin, the shape of your face, the personality that you've got, were not hidden from God. When, he was, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Let's not just skip over that idea. Some of us are very familiar with those words from Psalm 139. It's a favorite psalm of lots of people. But it's worth circling around it and coming back to it again and again. Do you know, whatever has happened in your life, whatever you have done, wherever you've got to, you know, some of you might be quite pleased with where you've got to. You might feel like you've had loads of success and, you know, you've worked really hard and you've got to a place where you're pleased with the life that you've built. You're glad about the people that you know and the trajectory you're on. Some of you feel literally the opposite. You're not so sure that, the, that your life has added up to very much. But the truth is, is that when you were formed, when your cells started to clump together, the eyes of God were on you. He was present as you were being knit together in your mother's womb. And it says that all the days given to you were somehow written in God's book before one of them came to be. It's an amazing idea that somehow God welcomed you into life on earth and said, that's good. This person, this one-off, this unique human being is made in my image and has infinite depth and spiritual worth. And it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a, an influential idea. 
the idea that we're made in the image of God has actually threaded itself through history and Christian faith has really taken on this idea and Jewish faith has taken on this idea that you and I are made in the image of God and it's influenced history. You know, in the ancient world, people were not quite sure what to do with women and girls. Girls were a bit inconvenient. If you had a girl baby, that was going to be a dependent child. Not so helpful. So sometimes they would just leave girl babies to die on the streets. Sometimes they'd leave them on the, the steps of the temples as a kind of offering to the gods, but really because they were kind of in the way. But when Christian faith began to ignite and take hold of the, the um, Eastern world, it, it actually, what happened is that that practice stopped. Why? Because every human being is made in the image of God and there's no one less valuable than another. So there's no one in here. Do you know every one of us is equal? Equal, level. It's level ground before God. It means that you're a spiritual person. And, you know, I think we're living in a culture that doesn't call out depth from us. What it really calls out is superficiality and shallow thinking, passing through ideas quickly, scrolling through one thing after another. And spiritual depth and understanding the real meaning of life is, is elusive in our culture. But you know, you're someone who's decided to be here this evening. You've got a reason for being here. You want to be here for an array of reasons, but somewhere in there, you're someone who's searching for God. You're searching for spiritual connection and reality. And that is because you're made in the image of God. And of course you want to know what life is all about. And so that's one perspective that no one can take from you. If you're made in the image of God, you're of infinite worth and you're a deep person. And I want to encourage you to be deep and to read and to think and to ask questions and to stop scrolling and to think about the meaning of life because our culture desperately needs voices to say there's more than this. And you are that person. You're charged to be a deep person in our culture. The second perspective is that image bearers are always on a journey of transformation. The Bible is clear. The second, the, the, the New Testament speaks about us being transformed into the image of Jesus. It's as if um, Jesus is the blueprint. This is Jesus is what it's meant to really look like. And the Bible speaks of us being transformed into his image. A really famous image about the uh, uh, painting about the mankind being made in the image of God is Michelangelo's one in the Sistine Chapel, this one. Who's seen that painting? Put your hand up. It's famous, isn't it? We always use it. In fact, preachers always roll it out when we do these kind of sermons, so I thought I've got to put it up there. The thing that's really interesting about this image, for one thing, is that, well, there's loads of things that are interesting, but one is that God is not wearing any crowns or royal robes. Michelangelo painted him in this kind of shift, like a, a vest, really, very human clothes. And it's thought that Michelangelo was trying to portray the kind of vulnerability of God as he made human beings, that somehow there's something similar 
about God and human beings. There's something about our image that is the same as his. And what's happened, the, um, the paintings were painted 500 years ago. And it's probably one of the most viewed paintings, set of paintings in the world. Seven million people traipse through the Sistine Chapel every year, looking up at these incredible images. Thousands, millions of candles are lit in the building, and thousands and thousands of photos and people looking up. And what happens over the years, has happened over the years, is that it's got dirtier and dirtier. And they've realized that they've got to constantly restore the Sistine Chapel all the time. And they've analyzed what is up there covering the images that has made the paintings so dull. And it's candle wax and soot. It's exhaust fumes from the cars as the, that sort of drive past. There's sweat. There's human hair. There's bacteria skin, there's humanity, is coating these images in the Sistine Chapel. And in the 1980s, they did this massive restoration. It lasted 10 years. And on the day they finished it, they started restoring again. Why? Because the image of God is constantly needing to be restored because of the world that we live in. The transformation that is ne we all need transforming all the time because it's really contested ground. The image of God in you is a fight to the death. There's a bloody battle being fought over that image in your life. When Shaz was sharing, that's the kind of battle that we're talking about. But it's a battle going on in your life. It's contested ground because we have a spiritual enemy, the Bible teaches us, that wants to steal that precious thing from us our relationship with God, and he wants to spoil the image of God in you and me. And he does it in lots of ways. When we're hurt and harmed by other people, when we're shaped by our culture, there's a spiritual reality that people who've got depth understand that there is a fight to the death over the image of Christ and God in you. And the way that people treat you very often will... That when people harm you, there's this sense in which that image can be spoiled. We hate ourselves. Sorry to keep um, going back to your story, Shaz, but it's such a brilliant explanation of what I'm talking about. You kept saying that you felt unworthy, that you felt the things that had done, happened in your life had kind of disqualified you to be around people in church and things like that. Because that's what happens when we're hurt and harmed by life. The image of God in us is obscured and we feel of less value. We feel it's spoiled and we want to hide. The things that we get drawn into in our culture that we partner with spoil the image of God in us. And then we react in ways to hurt and harm and the things that happen to us with anger and fear and self-loathing. And that as well puts another layer on the image of God and we need constant transformation and I want to encourage you this evening to to keep on submitting to the transformation of God a friend of mine put this up on his Facebook the other day and he's somebody who is in uh, the recovery community as well and he put this up he said don't 
let others put on you an identity that Christ has removed. There's a slide for that. Don't let others put on you an identity that Christ has removed. And then he goes on to say in the bottom of his Facebook post, if you're born again, the labels are gone. In Jesus' name, you're no longer an addict, no longer hopeless, no longer an orphan. You've had a new birth. Because that is what Jesus does in our lives. He gives us new birth and transformation. And he keeps on restoring us and cleaning us up. And he delights in doing that. And if tonight you feel, oh, I need some more restoration. I need to be, there's something that's happened in my life that I'm aware I need cleaning up. That is the, this is the very place where we love to pray for people. We love to help people on the journey of wholeness and healing in this church. We're passionate about it. I'm passionate about it. Because there's nothing quite like seeing a painting being restored, someone in whom the image of God is placed, and to be part of that restoring healing journey is an amazing privilege. So transformation is for image bearers. And thirdly, image bearers like you are meant to show the world what Jesus looks like. That's your job, to show the world what Jesus looks like. It says in 1 John, Jesus, the word, became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood, and we saw his glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. That is what God is like, and your job and my job is to show the world what he is really like. And it's as if Jesus becomes the blueprint. So if you want to know what to look like, how to behave, how to be, What's your life supposed to pan out like? Jesus is the blueprint. And what do we see in Jesus? Jesus doesn't distance himself from our suffering. Now for us, suffering can often spoil us. For many of us, suffering pulls us down into the darkness. And it's just like Viktor Frankl noticed that for, it's got the capacity suffering has to spoil us, to ruin us to make us angry and bitter. But Jesus, the image of the true image of God, when he came to this world, he didn't avoid suffering. He went right into the heart of darkness and he shows us what it looks like to be someone who's where the image of God is not spoiled in the middle of suffering. And I've been thinking a lot in the last few weeks for some reason about that moment when Jesus is dying on the cross and the Gospels speak of Jesus saying this one sentence, which is it's a bit mind-blowing, really, because Jesus at this moment is being executed and is in excruciating pain. And he says, and it's recorded in the Gospels, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when I reflect on that moment on the, in, the, in the gospel story, what I think you see is a true human being. Someone who is able, in the heart of darkness, in horror and suffering, to not descend into bitterness, not descend into fear, 
not descend into self-loathing, but actually hold himself in connection to the Father and forgive. And it's such a radical act. Forgiveness is one of the things that shows that we're made in the image of God. And every one of us has someone or more than, some, more than one person who every now and again we need to forgive. And sometimes we need to forgive huge things. And there is nothing more like the image of God, someone who's made in the image of God, than to be able to forgive, to be able to extend grace and mercy, even when we're hurt and harmed. Because when we forgive, it's like we're saying, what you did to me has not defined me. I'm defined by another reality, another truth. And your actions towards me cannot take from me who I really am. It's a massive challenge sometimes, forgiveness is. But in forgiving, that's where we see one of the strengths of knowing who we really are in God. And sometimes image bearers have to really identify with God's sorrow for the world. Bearing the image of God in the world means that we have to do what Jesus did. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And I know that there are some people in this church at the moment who are holding the suffering of another person really sort of close. And they're experiencing pain on behalf of another person. Maybe they're walking through the darkness with another person. And it's really hard. It's really hard to hold on. But when you're doing that, what you're doing is you're bearing the image of God. And you're doing what Jesus did. He bore the image of God right into the heart of darkness. And he wasn't overcome it by it. He held himself in that place of strength and compassion and grace and mercy. And for you who are holding somebody else in prayer or walking with them or struggling with them as they go through their pain and suffering and you felt a little bit like maybe the darkness has threatened to overwhelm you as well, know that God is with you in it and that you are holding the image of God in the way that Jesus did in those, those circumstances and it's an incredible and beautiful thing and God sees you because image bearers bear his pain for the broken world and they also, they carry hope and our job as image bearers ultimately is to keep pointing back, reflecting back the hope that God has put in our lives. So where is it that you, in your life, the people that you know, who is it that you're interacting with who need to see the face of God? And they're not going to see him. They're not going to go to the Sistine Chapel. They're not going to come here necessarily. And they need to see the image of God in the world. And you are to be the image of God. That is who you are. And when you are hope-filled and full of peace, when you deal with your stuff, when you don't allow things to be put on you, when you go on a journey of transformation, when you reflect the glory of God, you're showing them, you're image-bearing. That's your job, to image-bear to the people around you and show them what God really looks like. And you can do it because you're made in the image of God. You're made to reflect his glory and his goodness. And he can do it 
because he is going to transform you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Just to finish, I spoke to somebody this week who had been on a a massive journey of transformation from a place of true darkness where terrible things had been done to her. And she'd lived her life in reaction to it, really, in kind of just a defensive reaction, shut down and unable to really experience life or hope or peace. And then she met Jesus, and it's been a long, old journey. Um, But she said to me this week, I have been born again. I have been given a new life. And there's so much hope in her. And I said to her, well, I'm preaching this week on the image of God. What do, you, what do you think about the image of God? And she just thought for a bit and she said, I think it must look like Jesus. Because Jesus is like a true human. And that is, that's kind of where the image of God comes full circle from that kind of moment in Genesis where God creates human, being in, human beings in his image. What we really, when we really see it come into clear focus, what we see is Jesus. Jesus is the true human. And the reason we've got hope and you've got hope that your, this image is going to be transformed and restored in you is because Jesus has put his spirit in you. And he is always at work to transform you and bring you into wholeness and healing. And no one, nothing that you have done, and take the image of God and erase it from you. Nothing. Wherever you've been, however hard it's been or however dark it's been, nothing that you have done or are doing now can erase the image of God in you. You are truly beautiful. In the core of your being, you are made to reflect God's glory. And so... I'm going to finish there, but I, I just felt actually that there, there was a few opportunities to pray, and, and it'd be really good to pray together, but I'm going to pray for all of us. But I, one thing I just really felt we could do for each other, because it's a journey that we're on together, the journey of transformation and healing, is sometimes people we need to stand with people who are suffering on behalf of another. And maybe you're someone who you feel like, oh, I'm a bit drawn down into the darkness around this person. And it's quite hard being an image bearer, quite hard holding on to hope, quite hard being peaceful, quite hard to witness to the goodness of God in this darkness. It's just hard. And that's why we need a community around us to remind us that God is good. He heals and he brings hope. And so I'm just going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand up on behalf of someone that you feel is in the darkness and you want to bear the image of being image bearer to them, to show them that God is good and he's with them and there's hope. And when, when we do that, I'm going to get you to stand and then we're going to stand around you and pray for you. But I'd love to do that in just a moment. So I'm just going to pray for us first of all. So Maybe you could just close your eyes if you're comfortable with it. You don't have to, but close your eyes just for a moment. And I'm just going to read those words from Psalm 139 again quickly. The Bible says this about you. My frame, 
was not hidden from you, God. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I thank you, Father God, that you were present at the origin of life for each human being in this room and every human being on the earth. You were present. You saw us. God saw you. And he ordained, he planned, he purposed your life. He chose you for existence. He designed you in his image to be like him. And nothing can take that from you. And his spirit is always at work in you to transform you, to clean up the image. I pray, Father God, that you would just send your spirit now. Come in restoring, cleansing power. Holy Spirit, come. Restore the image of Jesus in each one of us, we pray. I'm just going to invite you, um, as the worship band come back up, I'm just going to invite you, if you're, if you're, you've got someone in your life that you are walking with and they're suffering, or you're praying for because they're suffering, just stand. You're representing them. And um, there's lots of you, because what you are is image bearers. You're bearing the image and it's a bit hard and there's lots of you standing but if you're not standing maybe you could just turn to the person that you can see near you and just just stretch out your hand towards them I pray for these people God we pray together as the family the church family for these people who have gone into the darkness on behalf of another and had tried to hold on to hope and peace for them because it's hard for them. I pray for them now. We pray for courage and strength that you would come by your spirit and strengthen them now. I pray that they would sense that you are bearing the burdens with them, that they are yoked to you, as it says in the New Testament, yoked to you, joined to you, and that your strength and power and wisdom and insight and hope and peace flows through their body, their minds, as they carry burdens for other people. Would you come in your renewing power, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come fill us again and strengthen us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.